Blog Talk Radio. Time here on blogtalkradio.com with another of the 300 pounds of sports knowledge show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, the guest call in number is going to be 626 231 0309. I repeat, 626 231 zero three zero nine and on this wonderful evening of november twenty sixth two thousand seventeen i can gladly once again tell the world that miss haywood's baby boy is back on the air now there was plenty of fun-filled excitement around the national football league today and there were some games that had big time playoff implications and I'm going to get things started out at the Coliseum in Los Angeles as you had the 7 and 3 Los Angeles Rams hosting the 8 and 2 New Orleans Saints and the Rams were able to bounce back after they suffered a very tough loss last week on the road at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings and the Rams today did not waste any time as they got the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a seven-play, 59-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Jared Goff connected with wide receiver Sammy Watkins from five yards out to give Los Angeles the early seven-to-nothing advantage. It was ten-to-nothing in favor of Los Angeles late in the first quarter when New Orleans scored their first touchdown of the game, and it occurred on a 74-yard touchdown run from running back Alvin Kamara to make it 10-7. to However, the Rams would respond and get their lead back to 10 points late in the second quarter when Goff would connect with wide receiver Josh Reynolds from seven yards out to give Los Angeles the 17-7 to lead. Now, heading into the fourth quarter, it was 20-10 to in favor of Los Angeles. Early on, a Greg Zerline 49-yard field goal made it 23-10. to And here is where the game changed because on New Orleans' ensuing drive, they got down inside of the Rams' five-yard line. They had a goal-to-goal situation. They were unable to score the touchdown. And instead, Saints head coach Sean Payton decided to, on the field goal to make it 23-13. to And that was big because I really think – that if New Orleans was able to score a touchdown there, it would have changed the tenor of the contest. Thus, uh, the Saints continue to be in in, uh, chase mode. The Rams played keep away. They tacked onto their lead when Greg Zerline connected on another field goal to make it 26-13, and with just under two minutes left in the contest, New Orleans would score again, this time when quarterback Drew Brees connected with Alvin Kamara on a 15-yard touchdown pass, to make it 26-20. to 20. Now, New Orleans would attempt the onside kick, and they were unsuccessful in that manner. And because of that, the Rams got back on track today by securing a 26-20 victory at home. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Drew Brees was 22 of 32 passing for 246 yards with the TD and no picks while he was sacked three times while Jared Goff had a big game as he was 28 
of 43 passing for 354 yards with two TDs and a pick while he was sacked four times by this New Orleans defense. Now, the Saints running game was still effective as they had 123 yards, but just on 17 carries. And Alvin Kamara led the way. And, you know, for anybody who had him on their fantasy team today, he really, you know, came out pretty good. He had five uh, receptions, pardon me, five carries for 87 yards and a TD. And then he had six receptions for a buckle one with a TD. But you look at this Rams receiving core and you look at Cooper Culp, what he was able to do, eight grabs for 116 yards, while Sammy Watkins, a big acquisition from the Buffalo Bills, chipped in with four grabs for 82 yards and a TD. And this right here was a statement win for the Rams because they had gotten on that hot streak, and the big question was who had they beaten. And they went on the road last week versus the Minnesota Vikings, and outside of their opening drive to begin that game, the Rams were dominated. So you look at it, and this was an opportunity for them to make a statement against a team that is in the playoff hunt once again from the NFC. And a lot of people have said, well, the Rams' schedule is definitely going to be tougher coming down the stretch, so we are going to have an opportunity to see what this team is made of. And they made the statement today. And you look at it, they were effective. They passed the ball effectively against one of the better defenses in the National Football League in uh, the Saints. And at the same time for the Saints, I look at it like this. This is a second week in a row where your defense has not been good. They got torched last week at home by the Washington Redskins and quarterback Kirk Cousins, and they were able to overcome that with a furious comeback. The running game – Stat-wise, if you look at it, New Orleans did have over 100 yards on the ground today, but it was not as effective because the majority of that came on one play. So this Rams defense really stepped up to the challenge and took away what the Saints do best, playing solid D and also consistently running the football as, you know, they really weren't – they didn't have the football a lot this afternoon. And, you know, this is going to be big for the Rams coming down the stretch for the psyche – Because, again, like I said, after last week's game, you needed an opportunity to get back on track, and that is definitely what they did today. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. New Orleans will be at home to take on the Carolina Panthers, while the Rams will find themselves on the road taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Now, out in the Bay Area today, you had the 4-6 and Oakland Raiders taking on the 3-7 and seven Denver Broncos. And after the season began so good for both of these clubs, things have gotten bad in a hurry. This was an opportunity for one of these teams to get back on track and potentially save their season. Now, after a scoreless first quarter, the Raiders got the scoring going midway through the second quarter when quarterback Derek Carr connected with wide receiver Amari Cooper on a nine-yard touchdown pass to give Oakland a 7 nothing advantage, and this capped off an eight-play, 80-yard drive, which ate up more than five minutes game clock. And just before the first half ended, the Raiders were able to put together another scoring drive. This time it was a one-yard run from Marshawn Lynch to give them the 14 to nothing lead at the half. Now, midway through the third quarter, Oakland was able to extend their lead when Carr connected with Jalen Richard on a six-yard touchdown pass to put them up by the score of 21 to nothing. 
Now, Paxton Lynch did get the start today for the Denver Broncos at quarterback, and he left with an ankle injury. And thus, the Broncos had to go back to Trevor Simeon, and Simeon played his part as he attempted to rally the Broncos. Now, early in the fourth quarter, Denver got on the scoreboard when Simeon connected with Cody Latimer on a 25-yard touchdown pass to make it 21-7. to And this capped off a 10-play, 93-yard drive. And then later on in the fourth quarter, it was Simeon again connecting with Benny Fowler a third on a 22-yard touchdown pass to make it 21-14. to Now, the Raiders had an opportunity to ice this game, and of course the Broncos did have an opportunity to get the ball back for their offense. And at first they were shutting them down. And on a key third down play north of the two-minute warning with the Broncos out of timeouts and the Raiders in a third long situation, the, uh, the Broncos defensively brought the house after Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. And he, he, he saw the blitz coming. It was an all-out blitz. And he was able to float it up, float the football up, and give, give an opportunity to Cordero Patterson to make the play, which he did. The Raiders were able to hold on and ice the game and run out the clock. And thus Oakland got the 21-14 victory at home today. And you look inside of the numbers, and Trevor Simeon was 11, and, 11 of 21 passing for a buck 49 with two TDs and no picks in relief, while Paxton Lynch had a very tough afternoon as he was 9 of 14 passing for 41 yards with no TDs and a pick, and he was sacked four times by this Raiders defense. Now, Derek Carr on the other side was 18 of 24 passing for 253 yards or two TDs and no picks, while the Raiders did have 104 yards of rushing on the ground. And, of course, this game is going to be overshadowed, but the outcome of this game is going to be overshadowed by what happened early on in this contest. There was a fight between Raiders wide receiver Michael Crabtree and Broncos cornerback Aqib Tlaib. And there's no love lost between these guys. And it stems from week 17 of last season when Crabtree and Tlaib got engaged in some physicality on a play. And Tlaib turned around and yanked and broke the gold chain that was hanging around the neck of Crabtree. Now, of course, that, that, um, that heat spilled over this afternoon, and we saw it again. They got into it. Crabtree did a solid job of blocking Tlaib on a running play, and Tlaib went and broke Crabtree's game, uh, chain again. There was a fight that ensued on the Broncos' sideline. Several other players got involved. Several other players tried to break it up. And unfortunately for the Raiders, aside from losing Michael Crabtree for this game, as he was disqualified for throwing a punch at Tlaib, they also lost guard Gabe Jackson for the contest because he made contact with an official. Now, as to, as Crabtree was disqualified for the contest, so was Tlaib on the Broncos' side. And, you know, it just showed the ugly side of the game, unfortunately, today. Now, you look at both of these teams, there's a lot of frustration if you look at the Denver Broncos, they were 2-0, and and then they were 3-1. and And coupled with this loss today, Denver has now lost seven straight. And it's very frustrating because you look at the Broncos' executive VP of football operations and John Elway. He's called out this team recently for being soft. Then you turn around and 
your offense has been struggling. Your offense has been very putrid. And you, you look at the past few years, the Broncos consistently have a championship defense. They had a defense that was capable enough of, you know, winning the Super Bowl last year. They didn't have the offense to back it up, and Denver missed the postseason. And we're seeing that again this year. That frustration is boiling over. And you look at the Raiders, they were in the same boat. They started off 2-0. and They've lost, they, coming into today at least, they lost six out of their last eight, and they were trying to save their season as well. But within the individual battle between Crabtree and Talib, you have two guys whose maturity has come into question at different points in their respective careers. It started with Aqib Talib with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he started out. He went to New England, and he was solid, and ever since then he's been with Denver. But you, you look at some of the the, uh, the questionable decisions that he's made on the field and off the field, and they hurt a team. And you look at Michael Crabtree as well. You know, he was a first-round pick of the San Francisco 49ers many years ago. And, you know, his immaturity, or his maturity, rather, was always brought into question. And now he's been with the Oakland Raiders, and things have been a little bit different. But, you know, you're, you're supposed to be, both of you guys, you're supposed to be vets in this league. And... Whatever little personal problems you have, you guys need to meet up, find a spot, settle it, and keep it moving instead of, you know, bringing it, you know, onto the gridiron. Now, I will say this. Number one, Tlaib has no business ripping off Crabtree's train, not once but twice, and at the same time, Crabtree has no business wearing it out there. Uh, You know, I remember, obviously, you know, my days of, you know, playing a little high school ball, obviously, it's definitely not on the level of the NFL, you know, one thing we were always told, you know, no jury. And now you see why. And, I mean, you, you've seen the fad in recent years where, you know, some players are wearing the big-time chains, especially, you know, wide receivers. Honestly, it's not worth it. Take it off, you know, because then you got to pay to replace it. There's no insurance on that. And the NFL is definitely uh, not going to compensate you for that. But I look at the bigger picture. Both of these guys – you, it, it's time to get a little bit more mature. That's the easiest way to, to uh, sum it up. Because this this right here, it hurt both teams today because the Raiders were already, you know, they missed Amar, Amari Cooper for, uh, for a portion of this game as he left with a concussion. And then the Broncos lost one of their best cover corners. And because of that, the Raiders were able to take advantage. And not only that, the Raiders lost their starting guard in Gabe Jackson, and because he made contact with an official, there's a possibility that he could be suspended for their next game. But getting back to the contest, I think it was big for the Raiders to get back on the winning side and get a W because 5-6 and six at this point sounds a lot better and is a lot better than 4-7 and seven when you're trying to hang around in the postseason picture. And if you're the Denver Broncos at 3-8, and eight, it's all but over right now. And you know, I know that John Elway called out his team for being soft. I know that John Elway, uh, you know, fired Mike McCoy last week as the Broncos' offensive coordinator. But I look at John Elway, and it's time for him to look in the mirror because I look at this offense, and it goes back to John Elway because Trevor Simeon has been a starting quarterback for the Broncos this year. Brock Osweiler has been a starting quarterback for the Broncos this year. Paxton Lynch was a starting quarterback today. None of these guys have been able to get it done. All of these were guys that John Elway brought in. 
And it comes down to him being able to draft these guys, evaluate their talent, and also develop them into being solid NFL quarterbacks. And right now, none of those guys is the option for the Denver Broncos in the present or the future. So this is a situation until the Broncos get it fixed, we are going to see this continuous futility on the football field. That I mean, how much more can you ask from your D? I mean, Von Miller's not getting any younger. The same thing can, uh, can, said, can be said for the likes of Chris Harris Jr. in that secondary. So if you're Denver, you got to go out there and try to fix this situation with your offense because you are once again wasting immense talent on the defensive side of the football. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. The Raiders will be at home again, this time to face the New York Giants, while Denver will find themselves in week number 13 on the road versus the Miami Dolphins. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626 626- Two three one zero three zero nine. Now in an AFC East showdown, you had the eight and two New England Patriots taking on the four and six Miami Dolphins, and it, New England did not waste any time scoring as early on in the first quarter. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. Uh, orchestrated an eight-play, 75-yard drive for the Pats, which is capped off by a two-yard run from running back Rex Burkhead to give New England the early 7 to nothing advantage. New England would keep going later on in that quarter when Brady found Rob Gronkowski from five yards out as this capped off a nine-play, 88-yard drive for the Pats, and they had a comfortable 14 to nothing advantage. Now, Miami did attempt to get back into this contest as early on in the second quarter, Rashad Jones returned a fumble 14 yards for the touchdown as the Dolphins had their first TD of the game. But New England would come right back and respond again with another long drive as this time it was a nine-play 78-yard drive, which is capped off when Brady connected with Burkhead on a one-yard pass to give them the 21-7 to advantage. Now, it was 21-10 to in favor of New England heading into the locker room. And early on in the third quarter, the Patriots were able to extend that lead when Brady found Gronkowski again, this time from 15 yards out, to give the Pats the 28-10 to lead. Now, Miami did attempt to come back as early in the fourth quarter. They put together an eight-play, 73-yard drive, which is capped off on quarterback Matt Moore connected with running back Kenyon Drake on an eight-yard touchdown pass to make it 28-17. to However, the Patriots would respond later on in that, con- in that quarter when Brady found wide receiver Brandon Cooks from five yards out to make it 35-17, to and that would be the final today as New England once again has a winning season. You have to go back actually to, uh, to, to the year 2000 to find the last time that the Patriots actually had a losing season. They're 9-2, and two, they're secured of that, and they are looking for bigger things coming down the stretch. Now, I look at this contest, and what I saw from the Patriots was flat-out precision. I mean, you look at Tom Brady, and what can you say about Tom Brady? When he's on, he's on. And we saw it once again. Tom Brady was, was dialed in all afternoon, for this Patriots club, 
He was 18 of 28 passing today. And New England, as a team, was able to rack up 417 yards. And and, and I, I look at the Dolphins. I mean, they were game with Matt Moore, but th- th- this team just isn't good. And it's unfortunate because they showed so much promise last year running the football and playing lights out D. And things have gone south so quick for this contest. I know for this club, rather. I know that Ryan Tannehill is not there this season. And they, they relied on Jay Cutler. And obviously, you know, Jay Cutler has not and is not the, the guy. So it's a situation, you know, that the, the season has gotten away from them. They have one of the worst offenses in the National Football League. And now the Dolphins can't stop anybody either. So I think coming down over the last five games for Miami, it's just a matter of seeing how much fight that this club will have. But, I mean, you look at New England, and, again, everybody was ready, or some people at least, were ready to write this squad off early. But like I always say, New England is a second-half team. And we're seeing it once again because once November rolls around, the Patriots begin to roll on all cylinders. And that's what we're seeing and they are once again a runaway freight train, and you can all but pencil them in for another AFC East title and a first-round bye during the postseason. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. New England will be on the road to face the Buffalo Bills, while Miami will be at home to take on the Denver Broncos. Now, you had the 7-3 and three Jacksonville Jaguars, traveling to the desert to take on the 5-6 and six Arizona Cardinals. And the Jaguars organization, at least, would see a familiar face as Blaine Gabbert got the start for the Cardinals at quarterback. And, of course, once upon a time, Gabbert was a first-round pick of Jacksonville, but things simply did not work out. Now, Arizona dominated this game throughout the majority of the first half. They were up 6 nothing. And late in the second quarter, they got the game's first touchdown when Gabbard connected with rookie wide receiver Ricky Seals-Jones from 29 yards out to give Arizona the 13 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 16-3 to in the third quarter in favor of Arizona when Jacksonville was finally able to score a touchdown, and it came from quarterback Blake Bortles, as he called his own number, on a one-yard run to make it 16-10. to 10. Now, Jacksonville would get their first lead of the contest early in the fourth quarter when former Cardinals defensive lineman Calais Campbell returned a Blaine Gambert fumble 10 yards for the TD to give Jacksonville the 17-16 to 16 advantage. However, the Cardinals would immediately respond when Blaine Gabbert threw the deep ball to wide receiver Jaron Brown as they hooked up on a 52-yard touchdown pass to make it 22-17, to Arizona would then go for the two-point conversion, and they were successful when Gabbert hooked up with veteran wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald to give the cards the 24-17 to advantage. But after a big kick return for Jacksonville, they would take advantage of it and Bortles would call his own number again, this time from 17 yards out, to knock the score at 24 apiece. Now, this momentum went back and forth late in the fourth quarter as you had Gabbard throwing an interception, and then you had Bortles throwing an interception. And 
neither it, it appeared that neither neither offense wanted to win this contest. However, Arizona did get the football back late. Gabbert did get them close enough to attempt a field goal, and with just one second remaining, veteran place kicker Phil Dawson connected on a 57-yard field goal right down the middle. And honestly, the kick probably would have been good from 65 as Arizona pulled off the upset today over the Jags by the score of 27-24. to And you look inside of the numbers during this contest. Blake Bortles was 19-33 of passing for a buck 60 with no TDs and that key interception in the fourth while he was sacked three times by this Arizona defense. Blaine Gabbert was 22 of 38 passing for 241 yards or two TDs and a pick while he was sacked once. Jacksonville did have 91 yards rushing today. However, 62 of those came from Blake Bortles as Leonard Fournette was limited to just 25 yards on 12 carries. On the flip side, Adrian Peterson, the ageless wonder, was able to get 79 yards on 20 carries for Arizona, and that was a big difference in this contest as Arizona got the victory and they were able to hang around in the wild card picture in the NFC. Now, for Jacksonville, these are the kind of games that they're going to need to win if they're going to be able to take that next step. And I know that they were able to go on the road earlier this season and beat Pittsburgh, but you've got a road game against a team that has their backup quarterback. You have an opportunity to win this game late and Blaine Gabbert, pardon me, Blake Bortles rather, throws an interception and that really changes things. And then Arizona's able to capitalize, get themselves in the field position to win. And now on top of that, you look at your D, that was an opportunity for you guys to step up and make a play and send this game to overtime, and you weren't able to. This is the next step that Jacksonville has to take. They're right there. But this this is part of the growing process, you know, in order for them to get that next step and be not only a playoff team this year, but also to be consistently a playoff contender because these are the plays that guys have to step up and make. Now, for Arizona, you look at Bruce Arians. You give him an opportunity, you give him a week to prepare his quarterback, and you give him a week to prepare his team, and he's going to make the most of it. Adrian Peterson is in a much better place with Arizona than he was with New Orleans. You have another veteran in Larry Fitzgerald. These guys know what it takes to prepare. You have solid all pros in your secondary with Patrick Peterson and Teron Matthew. These guys are going to go out there and do whatever it takes to win And that showed up again this afternoon, and that is a big reason why Arizona was able to get the victory. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. Jacksonville will be at home to take on the Indianapolis Colts, while Arizona will find themselves next Sunday at home once again, this time to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231-0309. Two three one zero three zero nine. I repeat, six two six two three one zero three zero nine. Now, staying with the AFC South theme right here, 
You had the 6-4 and four Tennessee Titans traveling to Indianapolis to take on the 3-7 and seven Colts. And the Titans, the, uh, for the Titans, this was a very important game because they were already one game behind Jacksonville in the standings, and they did not want to lose any further ground. Now, this was a defensive struggle for the most part for the majority of the first half. And after, like, things are tied up at six, Indy scored the game's first touchdown late in the second quarter when veteran running back Frank Gore scored on a 14-yard run to give the Colts the 13-6 lead at the half. Now, Indy was able to extend their lead to 16-6 after Adam Vinatieri connected on his third field goal of the game when the Titans' offense woke up late in the third quarter Marcus Mariota connected with tight end Delaney Walker on a two-yard touchdown pass to make it 16-13. to And midway through the fourth quarter, the Titans were able to get the lead as running back DeMarco Murray punched it in from a yard out to make it 20-16. to Now, later on in this contest, Indianapolis did have an opportunity to stop this Titans offense and get the football back. However, they could not stop. Uh, running back Derrick Henry, and thus the Titans were able to run out the clock. And Tennessee went on the road today for the big road win by the score of 20-16. to 16. And on top of that, this marked their first ever victory at Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, you look inside of the numbers, it wasn't pretty offensively from either team. Marcus Mariota, the Titans' starting quarterback, was 17-25 to 25 passing for a buck 84 with one TD and two picks, while Jacoby Brissett, his counterpart for the Colts, was 17 of 29 passing for a buck 96 with no TDs and no picks, while he was sacked eight times by this Titans pass rush. Jack Doyle had seven receptions and 94 yards for the Colts, but it was not enough as Indy fell today at home to go two, three, and eight. And for the Titans, this was big because, like I said before, they have they, they had never won at Lucas Oil Stadium prior to today. And you have to actually go back to 2007 to find the last time that the Titans beat the Colts on the road. And that's going back to the old days of the RCA Dome. Now, <clears throat> for Tennessee, they got back to basics, which is running the football and playing solid D. And as long as Tennessee can consistently do that, they're going to have an opportunity to win games. Now, you're 7-4, and four, and because of the Jacksonville loss today, you're tied with them for first place, and you get the tiebreaker as of right now because of head-to-head action. And, of course, they have their rematch in week number 17, and that could possibly determine the winner of this division. So I think it was big for Tennessee to go on the road, get the victory, get some confidence for themselves, get a win inside of the the division because, excuse me, those are never easy to come by. And now you have something to build off of coming down the stretch heading into the December. And for the Colts, you know, it's the same old song. They played tough, they played game, but it simply just wasn't good enough. Of course, you know, I don't, you know, know Andrew Luck at quarterback, you know, Jacoby Brissett, is, you know, showcasing himself to to some team out there to possibly be a starting quarterback for next season for somebody. But, I mean, the talent simply is not there for the Indianapolis Colts. The heart and determination is, but that is not going to be enough 
for them to consistently win games here in the NFL. Now you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. And for Indianapolis, they will be on the road to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, Tennessee will find themselves next Sunday at home versus the Houston Texans. Now at MetLife Stadium today in East Rutherford, you had the 7-3 and Carolina Panthers taking on the 4-6 and New York Jets. And the score was tied at three after the first quarter. And early on in the second quarter, Carolina got the game's first touchdown when quarterback Cam Newton scored his, uh, called his own number, rather, and punched it in from a yard out on a run to give the Panthers a 9-3 to advantage as place kicker Graham Gano would go on to miss the extra point. Carolina was able to extend their lead to 12-3 on a Graham Gano field goal later in the second quarter, but just before the first half ended, the Jets scored their first touchdown of the contest when quarterback Josh McCown hooked up with wide receiver Robbie Anderson on a 33-yard pass to make it 12-10 to at the half. Now, in the third quarter, the Jets were able to take the lead in their first lead of the contest when McCown hooked up with Anderson again, this time from 54 yards out, as the Jets were now up 17-12. to This game looked like it was going to be a back-and-forth affair uh, coming down to the wire, as right after that, Carolina would immediately respond by putting together a nine-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a two-yard run from Jonathan Stewart to make it 18-17 to as a two-point conversion was unsuccessful. Now, the Jets jumped back in front early in the fourth quarter after a Chandler Canton 0 19-yard field goal made it 20-18. to But the D stepped up for the Jets. They stopped Carolina on their ensuing drive, and when you know it, the Jets began to come apart as a fumble occurred on by the Jets' offense, and it was returned by Panthers' all-pro linebacker Luke Keekley, 34 yards for the touchdown. The Panthers would go for the two-point conversion and be successful, and they were now up 26-20. to Carolina's D stepped up and stopped the Jets. The Jets punted the ball back to Carolina, and Kalen Clay returned that punt 60 yards for the TD to make it 32-20 to as a two-point conversion was unsuccessful. Now, the Jets would attempt to mount a comeback as McCown would connect with wide receiver Jermaine Curse from three yards out to make it 32-27. to The Jets had an opportunity to stop Carolina and get the football back. And on third down, with just a little bit over two minutes left, uh, it, it appeared that the Jets did stop Carolina. However, the Jets were called for a roughing the passer penalty on Cam Newton, which resulted in an automatic first down for Carolina, and they were able to chew off some more time on the clock. And with just about 21 seconds left, Graham Gano connected on a 45-yard field goal to make it 35-27. to The Jets would get the football back, but it wasn't enough, as New York would fall to Carolina today at home by the score of 35-27. to And you look inside of the numbers, wasn't a pretty day for Cam Newton as he was 11 of 28 passing for a buck 68 with no TDs and no picks while he was sacked three times. Josh McCown was 19 of 36 passing for 307 yards or three TDs and no picks while he was sacked three times by this Panthers defense. Carolina did have 145 yards on the ground today as that was big. Devin Funches had seven grabs for a buck 08, but Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse each had big afternoons 
for the Jets. Robbie Anderson had six grabs for a buck 46 with two TDs, while Jermaine Curse had seven catches for a buck 05 with a TD, but it was not enough as the Jets fell at home this afternoon to Carolina. And for the Jets, it was the same old song. They're right there. They showed flashes. Can't execute in the fourth quarter, and that has been a theme for this club, not only this season, but as a whole under head coach Todd Bowles. And, I mean, he's been put in a tough uh, position because I've said it since Todd Bowles has been there. They don't have a franchise quarterback. This team is being kept together with uh, spit and glue. And Josh McCown has been the Jets' starting quarterback all season long, but he's not the future guy for the Jets. And, you know, some people, you know, they clamor for Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg. They're not the guy either. So, I mean, anybody who thinks the Jets are, are going to be a playoff team or were going to be a playoff team this year, it was fool's goal. And, I mean, I know that the Jets, for some people, myself included, they're overachieving this season. But, I mean, after that, after that rocky start, they, you know, they showed life. But I think that glass slipper's coming off now. That's, I mean, that's the best way to sum it up. They played hard. They had an opportunity to uh, potentially mount a comeback, but, you know, the penalties and the the execution, especially the red zone execution and, you know, not being aggressive on the play calling when you had a goal-to-goal situation and you you had to settle for a chip shot field goal, all of these things really hurt the Jets, you know, this afternoon. And that, that, that really led to, to them losing. Now on the flip side for Carolina, it wasn't pretty, but this is their style of game. It's not going to be pretty for for, uh, for the Carolina Panthers, but you look at this team right now; they're eight and three, and also they are five and one on the road, and that counts because Carolina, if they're going to be a playoff team this season, at some point they're going to have to win on the road. So now there isn't any fear for Carolina as far as going on the road and taking care of their business. And that's going to be big, especially with the month of January and the playoffs literally right around the corner. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. And for the Jets, they will be at home once again, this time to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. While for Carolina, they will be on the road in a big one to take on the New Orleans Saints. Folks, as always, the call in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along today, you had the 9 and one Philadelphia Eagles, who have the best record in the National Football League, hosting the 3-7 and seven Chicago Bears. And it did not take the Eagles that long to get the scoring going as midway through the first quarter, quarterback Carson Wentz connected with, with tight end Zach Ertz from 17 yards out to give Philly the early 7 to nothing advantage. Now, early on in the second quarter, Philadelphia would extend that lead when Wentz connected with wide receiver Nelson Aguilar on a 15-yard touchdown pass to make it 14 to nothing. And just before the first half ended, Philadelphia was able to put this game away 
when Wentz connected with former Bears wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey from eight yards out to make it 24 to nothing as the Eagles would cruise this afternoon at home by the score of 31 to three. And this was an all out beat down for the Eagles as they were able to rack up 420 yards of total offense while they limited Chicago to just 140. Carson Wentz was 23 of 36 passing today for 227 yards of three TDs and no picks. LeGarrette Blunt had 97 yards on 15 carries, and as a team, Philadelphia was able to rush for 176 yards. Zach Ertz had 10 grabs for 103 yards with the TD, while Alshon Jeffrey had five catches for 52 yards and a TD as he faced his former club for the first time. Now, the Eagles continue to roll. A lot of people are waiting to see this team fall, but it simply is not happening right now. There's a ton of confidence with this team. They're loose. They're playing for each other. And when you have that combination, they are going to be tough to derail. So I look at Philly, and honestly, the the way that things are going, the road to the Super Bowl on the NFC side is going to go through Philadelphia because you look at it. They They still face the Dallas Cowboys again. They still face the New York Giants again. Both of these teams aren't going anywhere. So when it's all said and done, the Eagles are going to at least have 13 wins this season. So the other contenders on the NFC side have to get their mindset to know that, you know what, in order for us to get to Minneapolis for Super Bowl number 52, we've got to find a way to beat this team in January in Philadelphia. Now, for the Chicago Bears, they've been been playing with a lot of effort, and I think they've been playing a lot better than their record. But that didn't show up today because – they faced one of the better teams in the National Football League. And this is an opportunity. This is a learning lesson for this young team and for head coach John Fox. And I'm sure he wants to see how his team is going to respond after they were taken behind the woodshed by a good team. Like I said, the Bears are young, and they've just got to find a way to learn from this, recover, and try to finish the season on a positive note. Now, for week number 13, Philadelphia will find themselves on Sunday Night Football on the road to take on the Seattle Seahawks, while for Chicago, they will find themselves at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Now, in an NFC South showdown, you had the 4-6 and six Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to take on the 6-4 and four Atlanta Falcons. Now, the score was tied at three after the first quarter, when Atlanta began to get see their offense get going. And it was a pair of wide receivers hooking up on the game's first touchdown when Falcons wide receiver Mohamed Sanu connected with wide receiver Julio Jones on a 51-yard touchdown pass to give the Falcons the 10-3 advantage. Atlanta would extend their lead later on in that quarter when quarterback Matt Ryan found Jones this time for 25 yards out to make it 17-3. Now, it was 20-6 in favor of Atlanta heading into the dressing room when they were able to extend their lead as they got the opening kickoff of the second half and they marched down the field on a a nine-play, 78-yard touchdown drive, which was capped off by a three-yard run from Tevin Coleman to make it 27-6. Now, 
Tampa Bay would attempt the rally as midway through the third quarter, they scored their first touchdown of the game when Peyton Barber punched it in from two yards out to make it 27-13. to 13. And early in the fourth quarter, it was Barber again, this time from one yard out to make it 27-20. to 20. However, the Bucks could not get any closer. And with just under two minutes left in this contest, Atlanta was able to put this game on ice as Tevin Coleman scored on his second touchdown of the game, this time from 14 yards out as the Falcons got the win at home over the Bucks by the score of 34-20. to 20. And you look inside of the numbers, Bucks quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick was 27-44 of 44 passing for 283 yards with no TDs and no picks while he was sacked once. And it was a big day for Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, who was 26-35 of 35 passing for 317 yards with a TD. Tevin Coleman did have 97 yards on 19 carries for Atlanta, but the man of the hour was Julio Jones as he had 12 catches for 253 yards and two TDs. And for anybody out there who had him, who had Mr. Julio Jones on their fantasy team today, they were definitely not disappointed. Now you look at this game and the Bucks, they suffered another loss on the road as they are now one and five away from Raymond James Stadium this season. And for Tampa Bay, you know, they're trying to hold it together with spit and glue. Of course, no Jameis Winston right now at quarterback for the Bucks. And plain and simple, Atlanta was able to take advantage of it. I mean, they jumped out early. It looked like Tampa Bay was going to get back into this game. But, uh, but Atlanta, rather, you know, they found a way to put this contest away. And that's, you know, like I said, they were going to be an up-and-down team this season. I expected it because that tough Super Bowl loss was so it's so difficult for them to get over, but they found a way to hold on today, and that's going to be big for them coming down the stretch as they try to secure a postseason berth. But, I mean, for the Bucks, what can you say? This was a young team that was looking to take that next step after they had that strong finish last season. And, unfortunately, you know, the maturity hasn't been there. And, of course, now with the injury to Winston, it definitely, you know, their chances are definitely limited. So all they can do for the remainder of the way is simply go out there and try to play spoiler. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs, and Tampa Bay will be on the road once again, this time to take on the Green Bay Packers. While for the Falcons in week number 13, they will find themselves at home, this time taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in the NFC West, you had the 1-9 San Francisco 49ers hosting the 6-4 and four Seattle Seahawks. And for San Francisco, they were looking to make it two in a row as they came off their bye week, and they went into their bye week on a positive note as they got their first victory of the season in knocking off the New York Giants. Now, after a scoreless first quarter, Seattle was able to get it going early in the second when quarterback Russell Wilson scored, called his own number and punched it in from two yards out to give the Seahawks the 7 to nothing advantage, and this was all set up by a spectacular 
interception by Seahawks linebacker Bobby Wagner. Now, it was 7-6 to six midway through the third quarter in favor of Seattle when they really began to flex their muscles. It was the Seahawks' first possession of the second half, and they took advantage when Wilson connected with tight end Nick Vanette from 17 yards out to make it 14-6. to six. And on the first play of the fourth quarter, Seattle was able to extend their lead and put this contest away for good when Wilson connected with tight end Jimmy Graham from a yard out to make it 21-6 to six, as Seattle would go on to get the 24-13 to 13 victory this afternoon. And it was a solid day for Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson as he was 20 of 34 passing for 228 yards with two TDs and a pick, while Paul Richardson did chime in with four grabs for 70 yards. Now, C.J. Beathard was 22 of 38 passing for 201 yards with no TDs and a pick while he was sacked three times, and he did have to leave this contest late due to a hit. And we saw our first sighting of Jimmy Garoppolo the future starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers as he was two of two passing for 18 yards. And he did lead the 49ers to their only touchdown of the contest in the waning seconds. So he did give the fans in the Bay area a brief glimpse of what they can expect from the future for this club on offense. But for Seattle, this was typical of them. You know, they struggle in the first half and they come out in the third quarter and they look like a different team and they're able they were finally able to separate themselves from a team that they were expected to beat. And for the 49ers, they continue to put up the game on the game effort. And you could see that this team has not quit on their GM John John Lynch or their head coach and Kyle Shanahan. And that is going to be something that they are definitely going to look to build off of in the offseason as they look to add more pieces and get the Niners back into contention. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these teams. And for San Francisco, they will be on the road to face the Chicago Bears. While for Seattle, they will find themselves at home next Sunday night to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. And finally, you had the winless Cleveland Browns traveling south to take on the 4-6 and six Cincinnati Bengals. Now, it was 3 to nothing in favor of the Browns midway through the second quarter when the Bengals scored their first touchdown of the game when quarterback Andy Dalton connect found tight end Tyler Boyd from eight yards out to give Cincinnati the 7-3 to lead. Now, Cincinnati would have a 16-6 to lead at the half as these teams basically exchanged field goals the rest of the way in the first half. And they finally were able to put some distance between themselves and the Browns as they took the opening possession of the second half and marched down the field on a 10-play, 78-yard drive, which is capped off by a one-yard run from Dalton to make it 23-6. to Now, Cleveland did attempt to make this game closer midway through the fourth as quarterback Deshaun Kaiser scored on a three-yard run, and this capped off a 15-play, 89-yard drive to make it 23-16 to in favor of the Bengals. However, the Bengals would put this contest away for good on their ensuing drive as they put together a 7-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off by an 11-yard run from rookie running back Joe Mixon as the Bengals would secure the 30-16 to victory this afternoon. <clears throat> and for Cincinnati, this was solid because I look at this club 
They began this season 0-3, and they were in complete turmoil. Big time. And now they're now they're five and six, and now they find themselves in playoff contention. So this is huge because anything, and I mean anything, could happen coming down the stretch over the last five weeks of the regular season. And for the Cleveland Browns, they became the first team since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1977 to begin two consecutive seasons by losing their first 11 games. And, of course, that Bucks team was, you know, fresh off of the heels of the expansion Bucks in 76 who went 0-14. And Tampa would lose their first 26 games as a franchise before they were actually able to get on the board and get a victory. Now, the Browns are not an expansion team. And if they were, that would be an insult to expansion teams because this is how bad that it has been. You're 0-11. And honestly, the people of Cleveland deserve a lot better than this. There is no end in sight for the Cleveland Browns. And I know that their owner, Jimmy Haslam, is going to give this front office and his coaching staff every opportunity to get the ship righted. But obviously, these aren't the guys. And first and foremost, there needs to be a culture change with Cleveland. You know, I continuously say there needs to be a culture change. Will we get it anytime soon? I highly doubt it. And because of that, people of Cleveland that actually still follow this club are going to continuously be disappointed. Now, looking ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs, Cincinnati will be at home on Monday night to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, while Cleveland will find themselves on the road in Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. And I spoke too soon, but finally, you had the four, pardon me, the five and five Buffalo Bills traveling to take on the six and four Kansas City Chiefs. And both of these clubs really came into this contest in desperate need of a victory. But late in the first quarter, it was Buffalo who scored the game's first touchdown as quarterback Tyrod Taylor connected with Zay Jones from 11 yards out to give the Bills the 7 to nothing lead. Buffalo took a 13 to 3 lead into the locker room at the half and it looked like the Chiefs were going to come out and be a different team in the second half as they took the opening kickoff of the second half and marched down the field on a nine play 85-yard drive which is capped off when quarterback Alex Smith connected with Albert Wilson on a 19-yard touchdown pass to make it 13 to 10. However, This Buffalo Bills defense was game all afternoon and late in the fourth quarter when the Chiefs were driving for the potential game-winning touchdown, Alex Smith was intercepted as Buffalo was able to ice this game today and go on the road and get the 16-10 victory. And you look inside of the numbers, it was not pretty offensively for either club. Tyrod Taylor, the Bills starting quarterback, was 19-29 passing for a buck 83 with one touchdown and no interceptions while he was sacked twice. Alex Smith was 23-36 of 36 passing for a buck 99 with a TD and one interception and two picks. And like I said, it was not pretty. And if you're Buffalo, you will take it any way that you can get it. And thus, they were able to go on the road today and get the 16-10 to 10 victory. And for Buffalo, this was big because – 
all signs pointed to head coach Sean McDermott losing his team. Because when he decided to make the move and bench Tyrod Taylor in favor of rookie quarterback Nathan Peterman, most everybody who saw that happen scratched their heads because at that point Buffalo was on a two-game losing streak. They started the season with a record of 5-2. and two. But then you turn around, and if you look at those two games that the Bills lost, they lost because of their defense, not because of their offense of Tyrod Taylor. So you bench the wrong guy. Then Nathan Peterman comes out last week against the Chargers and throws five interceptions in the first half. You then bench him and go back to Tyrod Taylor. And honestly, by Nathan Peterman throwing five interceptions, two of those which were returned for touchdowns, you really never gave your team an opportunity to win that game. So you basically threw that game away. Now, this team rallied around Tyrod Taylor today. They, they, and they went back to playing Bills ball, which is solid defense, and they ran the football effectively. And because of that, they got the win. Now, for Kansas City, you were 5-0. and oh. You had a two-game lead on the New England Patriots, and you had a two-game lead on the Pittsburgh Steelers, the two teams that you knew that you had to compete with in order to get home field advantage in the AFC. And to make matters worse, you went on the road in week number one on Thursday night football, and you dominated the Patriots and got the victory. Now you're six and five. And now you, you're going to have to fight for your playoff lives over the last five weeks of the season. What happened to the Chiefs' offense? It is not there. They're not running the football. They're not spacing the field, and they're not getting the football to their playmakers, such as Tyreek Hill, Sharkandrick West, and Travis Kelsey consistently enough. I saw a screen pass today where Alex Smith threw the football to two wide receivers, and both of them dropped it. That pretty much sums up the Kansas City offense. And anybody who expected Kansas City's offense to really turn it up and get it going after, you know, last week's stinker versus the New York Giants, obviously that wasn't the case. Because, honestly, the Chiefs should have had a sense of urgency two weeks ago. You came out of your bye. You went into your bye with a record of 6-3. and three. You got to say to yourself, hey, let's come out. Let's be sharp. Let's be crisp on offense. And let's go out there and take care of our business. You come out of your bye week and you lose to a team in the Giants that had only won one game up until that point this season, and they were winless at home. You lost them. You come home today and face a Buffalo Bills team who just got destroyed on the road last week versus the Chargers, and your offense once again did not show up. So for Kansas City, they need to get this figured out in a hurry. And the reason why I say that is because the Chargers are definitely picking up steam in that AFC West race. Now, you look ahead to week number 13 for both of these clubs. Kansas City will be back at the Meadowlands this time to take on the New York Jets, while Buffalo will be at home for a big one as they take on the New England Patriots. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309.
Now, you look at the divisional races, and New England has a very comfortable lead in the AFC East. They're up three games on Buffalo, and basically when they face each other next Sunday, should New England win that contest, it's all but over uh, for the race in the AFC East as New England will be taking home another division title. Now, in the AFC North, the same can be said as Pittsburgh currently has a three-game lead over the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Pittsburgh is playing on Sunday Night Football and it's a 14-14 affair at the half with the Green Bay Packers. But as long as Pittsburgh is able to win, they should be able you know, to be on easy street in spite of the fact that the Ravens still play on tomorrow night on Monday Night Football versus the Houston Texans. Now, in the AFC South, it's a two-team race as Tennessee and Jacksonville are tied at 7-4. and four. And because of the fact that Tennessee beat Jacksonville already this season, they are in first place. And like I said, this race is going to come down to whose quarterback is going to play better because both of these clubs can run the football and they also play solid D, but it's going to come down to a quarterback play. And I am more confident in Marcus Mariota leading his team to victory than I am Blake Bortles. Now, in the AFC West, things have gotten very interesting in a hurry because it looked like Kansas City was well on their way to their second consecutive division title. Now they're 6-5. and five. They've lost their last three. You have the Chargers, who were 0-4, and, and now they're 5-6. and six. And then the Raiders, who started off 2-0, and oh, they lost four out of their next six, and they came back and won today. So now you have the Raiders, who are just one game behind the Chiefs, and the Raiders have beaten the Chiefs, and the Chiefs have beaten the Chargers. So a lot, there's a lot that's going to be decided over these next five weeks, and it's going to be a race to get to eight, eight or nine wins because whoever gets to that mark will win this division. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles have all but wrapped up the NFC East. They have a five-game lead on the Cowboys and the Washington Redskins, and all they have to do is win one game over their next five weeks, and they have that division title. But for Philadelphia, they have bigger things on the docket, such as getting home field advantage in the NFC playoffs. Now, after Minnesota's win on the road on Thanksgiving Day versus the Detroit Lions, they are basically on easy street as far as winning the NFC North as they have a three-game lead over the Lions with five games to go. And, I mean, Green Bay is 5-5, five and five, but even if the Packers do pull off this win tonight versus the Steelers, it is highly unlikely that they catch the Vikings. Now, big-time race in the NFC South, as you have New Orleans and Carolina now tied at 8-3 and three after New Orleans lost today versus the Rams. And, of course, the Saints do get the tiebreaker as of right now because they went on the road earlier this season and beat Carolina. Then you have Atlanta right there with a record of 7-4. and four. But there is a lot to be decided because Atlanta still has four division games to go. Carolina still has three, and New Orleans still has four. So this action in the NFC South in the month of December is going to be hot and heavy, and I guarantee you that you're going to see a lot of these games in this division in prime time. Now, in the NFC West, it was big for the Rams to get that victory today and stay one game ahead of the Seattle Seahawks because they lose the tiebreaker with the Seahawks as of right now because Seattle went to L.A. earlier this season, and they came away with the victory. Now you look at the playoff standings overall in the AFC, and right now New England is one and Pittsburgh is two, while Tennessee is three and Kansas City is four. But you look at your two wild cards, 
Jacksonville has the first wild card, while Buffalo is back in contention with the second wild card, and that's big for them because the Bills have not been to the playoffs since 1999. But you look at the logjam. I mean, Cincinnati's right. Pardon me, Baltimore's right there at five and five, and a lot will be determined, of course, with their meeting tomorrow night versus the Houston Texans. But you look at this logjam at five and six. You've got Cincinnati, Los Angeles, and Oakland all at five and six, and the Texans could join that mix at five and six should they get the victory versus the Ravens tomorrow night. And if the Texans do beat the Ravens, you're talking about five teams right there with a record of five and six. Anything can happen coming down the stretch. Now, on the NFC side, you got Philly at 10 and 1, you got Minnesota at 9 and 2. And now you've got the Rams and Saints and Panthers at 8 and 3. The Rams will be the 3 seed. Of course, they get the tiebreaker over the Saints and the Saints, you know, they saw their eight-game winning streak come to an end this afternoon, but they would be the 4 seed. You got Carolina as the first wild card and you have Atlanta at with the second wild card. So right now it's all about the NFC South. Now, Seattle is 7 and 4, but of course, Atlanta gets a tiebreaker over them just due to the fact that the Falcons were able to go on the road and beat Seattle last Monday. Now, you got Detroit sitting there at 6-5. and five. Green Bay is at 5-5, five and five and they need this win tonight. You got Dallas at 5-6, and six, but a lot of people, myself included, don't really expect the Cowboys to be a contender without Ezekiel Elliott. You also have Washington and Arizona sitting there with records of five and six. So there is definitely plenty to still be decided. And speaking of week 13, it will get started this Thursday with an old school rivalry in the NFC East, as you're going to have the Washington Redskins traveling to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Washington has been dealing with a litany of injuries, and now you have Dallas, who's really embarrassed on Thanksgiving Day without Ezekiel Elliott or Sean Lee. And for the Cowboys, after they got embarrassed, it's all about gut check time because I know that Ezekiel Elliott is not there, but these other guys on this team are still collecting a paycheck, and they've got to go out there and compete and play a lot better if they want to still hang around in the postseason picture. Now, a big one in regards to the NFC playoff picture will take place next Sunday afternoon at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta when you have the Falcons hosting the Minnesota Vikings. And this Minnesota Vikings defense has been game all season long, and they really have an opportunity to solidify their postseason chances if they can go on a road and secure a victory versus the Falcons. But it won't be easy because you look at Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones in the past few weeks, and he is playing like a man possessed, and he will definitely put some stress on this Vikings secondary. Huge one in the AFC East is you're going to have the New England Patriots traveling to take on the Buffalo Bills. New England is already favored by eight and a half points. And like I said before, a win here by the Patriots will all but wrap up another AFC East title for them. Draft positioning will be on the line at Soldier Field next Sunday afternoon as you're going to have the three and eight Chicago Bears taking on the San Francisco 49ers. And for the Bears, after getting taken to the woodshed by the best team in the NFC this Sunday, they get a reprieve as they'll get to face the worst team in the NFC next Sunday. It's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to take on the Green Bay Packers in a battle of backup quarterbacks more than likely. It won't be pretty, but somebody has to win. 
Now, I talked about the Tennessee Titans getting a big victory this afternoon. They'll have to take advantage of facing the Houston Texans at home next Sunday. And, of course, we know about all of the injuries that the Texans are dealing with this season. So for the Titans to get that eighth win of the season, it will be huge for their playoff chances. It's going to be the Denver Broncos taking on the Miami Dolphins in South Beach, or South Beach, rather, uh, next Sunday afternoon. This uh, season has gotten away from both of these clubs, and I just want to see the effort that we are going to receive for both of these teams next Sunday afternoon. It's going to be the Jets hosting the Chiefs, and of course, the Chiefs went to MetLife Stadium in two, uh, a few weeks ago, and the results weren't what they wanted as they lost to the New York Giants in a game that they should have won. And you know that the Jets are going to definitely put up a game effort because Todd Bowles' teams simply do not quit on him. Now, it's, you're going to have the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And for Jacksonville, they suffered a tough loss today. But this is a game that they should win versus the Colts. And I just want to see what type of effort and intensity that the Jaguars come out with in this contest. This is a toss-up right here. You're going to have the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Detroit Lions next Sunday afternoon. And both of these teams, they've been up and down, and you never know what you're going to get from either club going into each Sunday. And I'll tell you like this, more than likely the last team of, uh, that possesses the football will win this game. And I think it's going to be a solid one because you look at the Lions, they are – four and one on the road this season. Oh, how things have turned as you have the winless Cleveland Browns traveling to take on the five and six Los Angeles Chargers. And don't look now after the 0-4 start by the Chargers, they have an opportunity to get back to 500. Their favorite big in this game versus the Browns. I know that, you know, some people are going to say, well, will the Chargers take advantage of it? And I think after the way that this team started and the momentum that they have for themselves right now, I don't see them looking past the Cleveland Browns on the schedule. Now, next Sunday, you're going to have the New York Giants taking on the Oakland Raiders. And for the Raiders, they're favored by seven and a half points in this contest. It should be a little bit more as the week goes along because the Giants simply aren't there on offense, of course, with all their injuries. And it's just about the Raiders simply being mature enough to take advantage of a team that they should be able to mop the floor with. You're going to have the Carolina Panthers facing the New Orleans Saints in a critical battle in the NFC South, especially for Carolina. You already lost to New Orleans. The last thing that you can afford to do is get swept by them because if you get swept by Carolina, I mean by New Orleans, if you're Carolina, you all have committed to being a wild card team this year in the playoffs. Now, it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Arizona Cardinals. And for Arizona, if they have any thoughts as far as winning the NFC West this season, they'll need this game. But I don't see it happening, especially with this Rams defense going up against a shaky quarterback for the Cardinals and Blaine Gabbard. On Sunday night, you're going to have the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to take on the Seattle Seahawks. And this is a game right here where all of those injuries that Seattle is dealing with in their secondary could come to light because I simply don't see them being able to slow down this Eagles offense. And finally on Monday night, it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. And for Pittsburgh, 
When you put them in a meeting with the Cincinnati Bengals, you simply throw the rule book out of the window as there is no love lost between either of these clubs. So, folks, that is going to do it for tonight's podcast. And as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. Now, I will be back on the air next Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, recapping the action from week number 13. Now, if you're on Twitter, please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it'll be my pleasure to follow you right back. You can also check out the group chat and the discussion that goes on on the Sports Depot 365 at, on, on Facebook. Please feel free to join the group. Give your insights on sports, and I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. You can continue to check me out at 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com, where I am the total sports package for the total fan. I've been talking about a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world of college football right now, the college football playoffs, as well as the hiring and firing of some of the coaches at these marquee schools. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. It's always a pleasure to see you grow and grow on a daily basis. And like I said, you are going to do some great things in this world of ours. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care. Have a good night. And thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com.